Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. Thanks so much for joining us on Day Calendar. And my guest back from Remax Twin City Realty, it's Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate agent. Faisal, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, David. How are you? I'm also well. Glad to see you again. And uh, as we usually do, we'll tell folks that if they'd like to get more information as they listen to the show today, just go to homeshack.com or you can call Faisal at 519 519- Six two four fifty five fifty five. You're very well known in the community, but of course, there's always new people who, who may not have seen you or heard you before. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I'm I'm a realtor in the uh, Cambridge Kitchener Waterloo area. I've been practicing real estate for the last. 33 years. I work with uh, Remax uh, Twin City. I'm a broker there. And uh, yeah, I love this community. Basically uh, came here at a very early age uh, and have lived here my entire life. And there's one uh, one detail he left out. He's also an accomplished author as well. Uh, I have a copy of his book here, The Real Deal, million do- Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. I don't, let's, not, let's not reduce it just to million dollar. Uh, and that's available on Amazon as a regular book or as an audio book as well. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that later on in the show. As we usually do to start things off, let's take a look at what's happening in the market currently. Well, the current market continues to thrive from a seller's perspective. Uh, We have seen increases right through fall. And, you know, typically we don't have these uh, spikes in the market during the winter season. Uh, We see a little bit of a decline typically. However, December, we were up 10%. January, we're up another 10%. These are numbers that have you know, I've never seen in my career, uh, we are touching close to $1.1 million for the average home in Waterloo region right now. Uh, This is double what it was two years ago. So the appreciation on property values is at a very fast pace. And primarily, we're still seeing um, a large influx of buyers coming in from the GTA, namely Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, uh, Oakville. Uh, So we're seeing that population moving further west and bringing all kinds of funding with them, which is outbidding a lot of the local buyers. Local buyers have turned to moving out further west, even north, so we're seeing a lot of movement now towards Listowel, Mitchell, Ingersoll, Woodstock, Norwich. Uh, Tilsonburg is, is, is becoming a very popular spot for people within the KW and Cambridge region to move because there's still you know, a 20% savings. And at one time that savings would have been 45 to 50%. So we're seeing how this entire you know, Southwestern Ontario really is thriving right now from a seller's perspective. Yes, not so great from a buyer's perspective, though. No. Let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let's take a look at interest rates now. I'm, I'm interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on that. Is it good or bad for the Bank of Canada to be deferring or raising rates? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's good and bad. It's good that it keeps the payment lower for those who are buying, but it's bad from the perspective that it keeps the prices up. 
So there's a direct correlation between interest rates and valuation. So when the interest rates go up, typically prices would come down and vice versa. And that's one of the catalysts that we've had in the market where when interest rates started dropping, people's affordability started going up. So if you were once qualified to buy a home for let's say $700,000 at the interest rate of 3.5%, uh, and that was sort of the average rate for, for quite some time. As soon as that rate dropped to 3% 3, uh, 3 or 2.5%, your buying power went up by about $100,000, $150,000. That didn't mean that you could buy a better home or a bigger home. It just meant that the home that was possibly $700,000 is now $850,000. So you're still in and around the same payment but you're buying a much, uh, you're buy, you're paying a much higher value for the same home. By correlation, we should see prices come down if interest rates go up. But the anomaly here is that we have such lack of inventory and such huge demand. We're still seeing 10, 12, 15 offers on every home that's being offered onto the market. So even if interest rates rise by 1%, I don't feel that we're going to see a downward trend on values. I think that's going to continue because remember, a lot of people are still coming into this marketplace with an abundance of cash and immigration certainly hasn't stopped. So we're seeing a lot of population growth coming into Ontario, namely Toronto. And then the disbursement from Toronto is about an hour and a half radius. So whether or not interest rates go up or not, I don't know if it's going to have a impact on pricing. I think it's going to continue to thrive because we're still not in a balanced inventory situation. We've certainly talked about this on the show before, but for new listeners, what, what is it that is causing, what are the reasons, plural, for the severe lack of inventory? Well, first of all, is population. There's not enough housing to accommodate the number of people that are living in our region and then the number of people that are coming into our region. And that's not just our region. I think that's almost Ontario and possibly North America wide. Uh, we're seeing this happen. So population growth, there's immigration that's coming into the country and I'm all for immigration, but we have to have responsible immigration to allow housing for the people that are coming in to the country as well. And now these folks that are coming in are coming in with a lot of money as well. So they're in a position to bid and pay those types of prices. So that's number one, it's, it's, it's supply is low, demand is high. Number two is that there's so much red tape when it comes to the municipal laws and passing of approvals and permits that it just gets delayed and delayed and delayed. And now we are seeing the impact of those delays. If the municipalities would increase the pace at which they A, respond and B, issue permits and allow infill lots, allow zone changes, allow um, this, this development culture to exist without uh, the roadblocks that we have seen for years, I would say that would largely start having a positive impact on the supply issue. And I know that the government has some mandates now to create, but there's 1.5 million homes that need to be built in order to get 
the supply imbalance to the demand. And just imagine getting 1.5 million permits issued. And look, I can call most of the municipalities right now, and it's two to three weeks before I get a return phone call, forget an email response. Um, so it's very frustrating for a builder or developer or anyone for that matter, or a homeowner who just wants to sever a lot and, and be able to build another home. It's the roadblocks are so vast that, and the, and the, the, the timeline in which a response is uh, available and the red tape and having the, the planning, the cost, the applications, it's just so onerous that people are just shying away from even going on to that. Uh, we're certainly going to talk more about this after the break, but uh, the, the fact is that there's just not all that many building supplies out there anymore. How much has the pandemic impacted the lack of building supplies? That, that has impacted in every way and we're seeing, but it's not just the pandemic, it's also transportation, we've had floods. Um, so, you know, anything that happens that impacts production, transportation is going to have a negative impact on supply. And so everything has just been compiling and multiplying. And now we're seeing, look, lumber prices are three times what they were uh, prior to the pandemic. Some of it, I don't know if it's price gouging and if there's stockpiles of, of, of supplies that are just not being released to the market. I think a part of it is that. But the other aspect of it is there's just not enough production uh, to meet the demands that are out there. So, you know, that's where we're seeing bottom lines being affected. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, builders and, and what's going on as well. But, you know, this pandemic has had a huge impact. And remember, the other impact that the pandemic has had is this de-urbanization movement. People from Toronto, GTA, that were in condos uh, started realizing that if they're going to be stuck to their units, um, not being able to use their elevators, not being able to use the facilities that are in their buildings and living in communal environments where uh, the spread is a lot easier. Um, people decided that it's time for us to move into the suburbs. And, you know, this region is a very accessible suburb right on the 401 line with the transportation infrastructure that exists to allow for um, this to be a reasonable space to move into. So that is another cause of the pandemic that's caused us to lose supply and see an increased amount of people demanding housing in this area and paying for it. I guess this hour on Ask the Experts, Faisal, Susie Walla, Remax Twin City Realty, you can find out more by calling 519-624-5555 or go online to homeshack.com. On the show, Faisal Suziwala joins us from Remax Twin City Realty, Canada's top real estate agent. You can find out more online at homeshack.com or by calling 519-624-5555. We've been discussing what's going on in the market currently, uh, thoughts on interest rates, the lack of inventory. Now, we've been hearing stories about builders returning deposits and telling buyers that they're just not able to meet construction deadlines. What, what's going on, Faisal, and, and why? You know, some of these are legitimate reasons where a builder just cannot meet 
the requirements. So it may be a condo development where they are just not able to meet the sales uh, requirements in order to get their funding or they could not get the services in or they could not get the permits or the site plan approval because we see a lot of this pre-sale uh, going on or res registrations going on in new home development sites but it's not a hundred percent ready you're not being given a price you're not being given a closing date and it's just hey register and we'll let you know then the builder realizes that you know i'm not going to be able to meet these deadlines so a they'll cancel reservations but if they've taken a deposit that's a whole other aspect now they're into a contract which they've signed and you've signed but if any of us have seen a real estate contract that comes from a builder uh, you really do need a law degree to be able to decipher what those contracts state. But here's the double-edged sword. That builder gives you that contract. You take it to your lawyer. Your lawyer red lines the entire contract and says, I don't like this. I don't like that. This builder's got this out. This builder's got that out. You may have these additional fees. Um, and you may not even get the home that you are signing for. And you go to your builder and you say, well, hey, can we change all these things? Or can we get a little bit more definitive answers on timelines and costs and whatnot? And the builder says, you know what? There's another 700 people in line behind you that are happy to sign off blindly that don't want me to change anything. So if you don't want it, that's fine. Next. So the challenge has been that people are buying sight unseen. They're buying without conditions, they're buying without taking the lawyer's advice on these contracts because they're just so happy that they won the lottery by getting an opportunity to pay the builder the cost that the builder wants. These contracts happened about a year ago. Now that it comes time to construction or infrastructure or putting in the lines and getting the permits, the builder does a costing on, hey, what's my cost going to be on building this dwelling? Turns out the lumber prices are up three times, drywall is up double, and all your material costs and, and, and costs that you were factoring in when you came up with the price for that home has now tripled. So the builder's margin may no longer be there. And that's why the builder decides, well, you know what? I can't build this for the price that I had offered. So I'm going to use the clauses in my agreement to purchase and sale, which allow me an out. And that might be, I couldn't get my services. I couldn't get my permits. Uh, there may be something on unforeseen uh, costs. We don't know what each builder has. And guess what? The consumer didn't really pay attention to that. They just said, well, you know what? I got it. I've given my deposit. I'm in. I've got my property and I'll move in in the summer of 2024. Well, summer of 2024, guess what? The prices are gonna be much higher and the builders realizing that the market has gone up 60% over the last two years. So again, some are legitimate reasons, some are pure greed. It's if there's an opportunity to make 60%, 50% more for the same home, it adds to their bottom line. Mind you, costs have gone up, so it may not be a net increase to them, but there is definitely an incentive to a builder to give you your deposit back if they're within their timelines, if construction has not started. 
the challenge in all of this is the impact on people's lives. People who bought these homes, extracted equity from their homes, gave the deposit, and some people wanted to play it safe. So they said, I don't wanna be stuck with two homes, so I'll sell my house while the market is good, not knowing that the market will continue to increase. So they sold at, let's say 2021 prices in the spring of 2021, anticipating that they'll be moving into their home summer of 2022. Well, they already left 30% on the table if they sold last year. And now they've been either renting or staying with mom and dad in anticipation of their new home that they're going to be occupying. And the builder calls them and says, I'm giving your deposit back. I cannot complete the transaction. So we're seeing lawsuits now happening in all sorts of communities. There was one recently, I believe in Alora. We've seen this happen in Woodstock and Tilsonburg. And the sad reality is that we're gonna continue seeing this happen if the builder has the opportunity to exit that contract. We're going to see more of this happening. So I would recommend that if you are in a new home contract, get that communication opened up now with the builder to make sure that they're going to follow through. Number two, have your lawyer reread the contract to make sure that the builder does not have an out. And if they do, what the timelines are for that out. Because after some critical dates have been met, they no longer will have that out. Other than starting a, a costly lawsuit, is there any other kind of recourse for buyers? Unfortunately, those contracts that the builders have are sometimes 60 to 80 pages and they're ironclad, done by the largest and most intelligent law firms and they're not amendable. Once you've signed on that dotted line, even despite your lawyer's caution to you to say, you know, this builder's got, because you know what, when we're in that moment, we're not listening to all the bad stuff. We're just happy we got the property and uh, we're happy to write the check and, and you hope that the builder is honorable, but there's unforeseen circumstances. So I'm not painting all builders with the same brush here. I'm saying that there are some builders that are legitimately unable to uh, fulfill their contract and they have the right to withdraw. But then there are others that are seeing an opportunity and certainly taking advantage of, unfortunately, mostly young people who are already vulnerable as it is. I'm, I'm picturing we have some, some nervous listeners now. How widespread is this problem? I think it's just the surface. It's going to get really bad. Uh, and I hate to say this, I'm a pretty optimistic person and I have a lot of faith in people, but the reality is costs have increased so significantly that the builder's margins have gone so thin now that their only recourse is to use these clauses that they have in their agreements to exit these transactions. My guest this hour on Ask the Experts, we're speaking with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. Canada's number one real estate agent and the author of The Real Deal, billion dollar real estate broker available on amazon.ca. We'll be talking a little bit later on about the book. And when we come back, we'll go into another uh, rather contentious topic. 
the bidding war. So stick around for that. If you'd like to get more information about Faisal and give him a call, 519-624-5555, or just fire up your web browser and go to homeshack.com. Right. We are back with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty online at homeshack.com or give him a call at 519-624-5555. We continue our discussion about what's happening in the market currently. And uh, there's been an awful lot of new Star Wars uh, <laughs> a series on Disney Plus lately, but that's not where the real drama is these days. It's it's the bidding wars and they are continuing. Is that good or bad, Faisal? Well, look, it's, it's, it's great for the sellers. It's bad for the buyers. Uh, but it's also, you know, part of this bidding war uh, situation is the process of the bids and how they're handled. And is there a better alternative? You know, and there were some election promises made that bidding wars would be done away with and or blind bidding would be done away with. And there would be transparent bidding where everybody sees everyone's bids. So first of all, let's talk about are there still bidding wars going on? Yes, absolutely. Now more than ever, when the amount of inventory in our region is at a critical state as it is, and the number of buyers are an all-time high, the only way for uh, a purchaser to be able to buy a home is either to um, have some sort of a transaction privately or enter into a bidding war situation, which is what most realtors are now advising their sellers is the only way to be able to sell their home. So what that means is the buyer uh, has to submit their offer on a certain date. Uh, the seller has a target price in mind. And once that target is reached, doesn't mean that the seller automatically accepts that offer. That's when the war starts. You go back to every buyer and give them an opportunity to improve their offers until in such time that everyone has walked away except for the best offer on the table. So we're going to see this trend continue and it's going to continue until we see supply. And as we talked about uh, earlier on in the show, that I don't expect that supply to balance for the next four years. So we're in for a long run of bidding wars. Now, things like interest rates may impact this a little bit, uh, but other than that, and, and when I say interest rates may impact this, we would have to see significant interest rate increases. Um, half a percent, 1%, maybe even one and a half percent, I don't believe is gonna have any significant impact on slowing down the influx of buyers that are coming into our region or the bidding wars from continuing. So I think we're in for a long run and we're seeing more bidding wars now than I've ever seen in the past. Are there any strategies that you offer to your clients for, for winning a bidding war? You know, all strategies have been thrown out the window now because it really just comes down to who is willing to not pay the price, who is willing to overpay. And that's a sad reality of the market. Every home that we're seeing sell on this market right now, in real time, appears to be overpaid for. However, a month from now, seems like a pretty reasonable deal. And this has been the trend for the last seven or eight months, that just when you think, oh my goodness, that just broke every record 
that no home in that subdivision had ever sold for that valuation, in comes the next home and it sells for 2% or 3% even higher. And that trend is continuing. I've rarely seen a comparable home sell for less after the first home sold. So, you know, you're, you're seeing this increase consistently as, as the market continues. And like I said, even through the fall and winter market where we typically see a little bit of a slowdown, the, the fear of interest rates uh, rising fueled the fire for buyers to enter into the market. But it, there just doesn't seem to be any bad news, even if it's bad news, it's not impacting anything, just because again, supply is so low. Are builders engaging in selling this way as well? Yes, so the builders have taken a chapter out of our real, real estate book and said, hang on, so you guys are delaying offers, you guys are waiting on presentations, so let's do the same. So they're now having a baseline on what they're asking price is, and then they're saying, okay, we have 25 lots with 25 homes, but we have 5,000 registrants for these 25 homes. So what we're going to do is we're going to open it up to maybe 200 people and we're gonna invite them to participate in the offering process for the 25 homes that are available. Our asking price is $1.5 million for a single detached home. That's the home that we're offering and we will allow you to present an offer at whatever you wish to present. And recently I was involved in a transaction where the asking price was 1,350,000 and our purchase price ultimately ended up 1,901,000. So that will tell you that we paid $551,000 above the builder's asking price in order to secure our position on that home. And I was representing the buyer. I'm typically on the other end of it, but I firsthand saw how the builders are now using the same strategies to get, and, and at 1.35, that was a reasonable value. It made sense. The home was worth that kind of money. But when you have this bidding process, and guess what, the next home that comes on the market with the same builder for his second or third phase, the baseline is gonna start at $1.9 million because now a new level has been set. Wow, that is that is just incredible. Now you say that the bidding wars are gonna continue. You said for at least the next four years is yes. long. Will it go on even longer than that? You know, it, it really could. But the only thing that can stop these bidding wars from happening is supply. And as I said earlier on in the show, that 1.5 million homes are needed across Canada in order for the supply to be in balance with the demand. And 500,000, so half a million of those homes are needed in Ontario. And we just don't have the capacity or the ability to get approvals fast enough to put that supply into the marketplace. Now, as you mentioned earlier, there were discussions uh, surrounding open and transparent bidding. Uh, what's going on with that? Is it going to happen? 
So here's the here's the issue. Um, I'm not a supporter of I'm not a supporter of open bidding. I'm a supporter of blind bidding, and I'll, and I'll explain why. And and, and a lot of people. Uh, will argue that you know that's self-serving and I'm just helping the sellers by saying that. I'll tell you what, when you have blind bidding, there's a thoughtful process that one goes through. You know the asking price is $700,000. You know what your upper limit is. You know what you're approved for. So let's say you offer $850,000 knowing that, and then you have a date by which you have to present that offer. Now the realtor, the broker representing the seller may give you another opportunity to improve your offer. But again, you have time and you have the ability to sit down with your partner, with your spouse and say, okay, how far can we go on this? What can we afford? How much more money can we come up with? And perhaps you'll come up with another 5,000, 10,000, maybe $25,000 to try to get that. But what do most of us say? This is the best I'm gonna do. And if it's meant for me, if it's meant to be, I'm gonna get it. Otherwise it wasn't meant to be and I'll move on to the next home. So that's the mindset of a blind bidder is let's have a thoughtful process on what we're willing to offer. Let's offer that price and hope for the best. Now, when you go into open bidding, it's like going to a live auction. When you're at a live auction, emotions run high. And when emotions are running high, it may be smaller increments of increase, but let's say that same scenario, $700,000 home, your offer is $850,000. Now everybody in the room sees what your offer is. So the next person says, well, I got to beat that person. I'm going to offer $855,000. The other person says, well, I'm going to go to eight sixty-five. dollars Then it's eight seventy-five. dollars But in that moment, there's human nature is the tendency of I've got to win. And when you've got that ego and those juices flowing, you're not really thinking rationally. And I would argue that I don't believe that it's uh, an environment where a thoughtful decision can be made because you're driven by impulse at that point that I've got to win. And I've been to car auctions where I've been caught up in that emotion. And, and you know, it, you feel like, oh, I got to have this, I got to have this and you keep bidding. And before you know it, you're paying more than what even the market value of that product was. So the thoughtfulness is replaced by irrational impulsive behavior in open bidding situations. And we've seen this happen in Australia. Just Google or go on YouTube and look at the, the open bidding process that happens in Australia. And it's like the wild west out there. So maybe a hybrid type of situation, which I don't know how that would look, but I don't believe that going into open bidding is really the answer to stop this frenzy from happening. Obviously, you're, you're not a fan, but do you think it will happen? I think that uh, there is political pressure for it to happen. But here's the problem with political pressure or politicians making decisions is that they're not in real life interacting or transacting these types of uh, situations. And they're not involved in the, in the thought process or the mindset of individuals that are involved in this. So unless they've got a focused group and they've consulted with buyers, sellers, and realtors and come up with what works best, I don't think that it's, uh, it's wise for them to do it. It may happen, but I've seen 
majority of, of government intervention in private businesses to improve situations, I've just seen it get worse than better. My guests this hour on Ask the Experts for speaking with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. You can find out more online by going to homeshack.com or just give them a call, 519-624-5555. Today on Ask the Experts, Faisal Suziwala joins us again from Remax Twin City Realty. Faisal is Canada's top real estate agent. You can find out more by giving them a call at 519-624-5555 or simply go to homeshack.com. Uh, throughout the hour, we've been talking about what's going on in the market. And uh, I, every time we do one of these shows, Faisal, I just picture myself in the place of a first-time homebuyer. And I, I, honestly, there's a sense of dread. What options are actually still available for first-time buyers given this competitive market? It is very frustrating for first-time home buyers, and it is it's deflating for them because the rate at which properties are appreciating, uh, it's just not balancing out, and it the barriers to entry are so high now that they have to look at non-conventional. Uh, and creative ways of getting into the marketplace. So option number one is changing your expectation and, and perhaps lowering your expectation and saying to yourself, okay, I'm not going to get the home that I really want because A, it's out of my reach now financially or B, because there's just too many people bidding on that same home that financially I'm not gonna be able to get there. So. My advice to a lot of young people today or first-time homebuyers today in general is just to get your foot into the door. Buy something that is bricks and mortar on land. Buy some piece of real estate so you're now participating in the appreciation of that asset. And even if it's not something that you can see yourself living in, buy it and rent it out so that again, you're participating in the appreciation of the, of the market. And you've now got a vehicle that at some point you can sell and enter into the market for your personal residence, uh, but don't wait on the sidelines and hope and pray that something magical is gonna happen that's gonna allow you to enter the market because people have been doing this. I've heard from, since 2016, I've been listening and I've been getting comments back on my social media platforms that, oh, you know, enjoy it while it lasts, market's gonna crash, market's gonna crash. Here we are, six years later. Has the market crashed? No. But all of those naysayers that were saying, well, we're just going to sit on the sideline until the market crashes, they're now completely out of the market. For first-time homebuyers, one of the options that we need to start considering now is partnering. You know, whether it's with family members, whether it's with friends, somehow with, with investors, there's even a government program where the government will partner with you to buy a home. I don't recommend that program. It's, it's not good for you, but there are so many options available where you can partner or participate in purchasing a property. So if you've got some down payment, someone else has got some down payment, put your money together and buy a rental property with them and at least get your money into the real estate market. 
That's one way of entering. And, and you get some rental income out of that. So it also allows you to have an investment property for later on that you can continue extracting money from and leveraging that asset. So there's so many different things that can be done, but the conventional buying that house with the white picket fence, that dream is being shattered for most first time home buyers today because there's just no opportunity to enter. Then you've got to look at the types of homes that you can buy. So freehold, meaning a single family or a, or a property that's non-condo is becoming very difficult to buy because of the values being so high. So start looking at condo options, which yes, come along with condo fees and whatnot, but at least it's getting your foot in the door. And that's the main lesson here is don't wait for this market to crash participate in the market, don't sit on the sidelines, get into the game. I've, I've even heard stories of like two couples who happen to be friends going in and, and cohabitating in the same house. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely. So it's basically fractional ownership. So it's, it's partnering. It's just partnering, saying this is the only way we're going to get in. But you're able to start participating in the appreciation of the value of that asset. And you're in it. You're not on the sideline waiting for something to happen because anyone who's been waiting on the sidelines will, their money has been depreciating while these property pro, uh, values have just appreciated at an insane rate. We said 60% in the last two years. Uh, well, moving on, we said we were going to talk about it, and uh, we are. The Real Deal, Faisal's book, available on Amazon as a book and also an audio book. And uh, chapters in here range from, you know, becoming a realtor to your journey to uh, why to build wealth. Chapter 15 is all about why build wealth. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. And then another chapter talks about your investment portfolio, if you want to comment on that as well. So, you know, the, the, the whole idea of why build wealth, that's just really is common sense, right? We should all try to build some form of wealth. And we all have different reasons for that. Um, for me, it was uh, to create some level of passive income so that not only for myself through retirement, but also to leave something for my family and just to have that security. And very, very early on in my, and, and, and this whole book is about my journey and what I did to create a portfolio for myself and, and try to achieve my goals. But very early in my career, I realized that the only way for me to purchase real estate was to partner, was to partner with some friends and buy multi-residential properties. Because I, on my own, I was only 18 years old when I got into this business. I didn't have the funding. I didn't have the credit. I didn't have the backing. And I certainly didn't have the knowledge. So I needed assistance. And that's how myself and a couple of friends got together, put some money together, bought our first property, and started building our investment portfolio. And what we were doing was every time we bought a property, as soon as there was enough equity, through appreciation that was there, we would extract some of that equity, which means you would refinance that property and buy another property. And when I'm talking about building wealth, you build wealth by retaining and holding on to those assets and leveraging those assets, as opposed to flipping, buy one, get out, buy one, get out. There's That's a good way to 
create income, but that's not a great way to create wealth. And if you look at it over the trend, the long term, you know, the average price of, of a home in the region of Waterloo 30 years ago was $78,000. Okay. Today, the average home is $1.1 million. So if you had just bought properties 30 years ago and held on to them and leveraged them and kept buying on, today you would have a very large investment portfolio that not only is in 30 years with an amortization of a 20 or 25 paid off and it's giving you passive income, it's giving you the ability to will something to your children. So if you, for those people who actually started doing this early on, not knowing what we were going to be facing in 2022, those individuals are now in a position to help their children perhaps. And let's face it, our children are not going to have the opportunities to enter the market at an affordable price point like we did when we were able to buy. So the bank of mom and dad is the only answer for a lot of young people trying to get into the market today. So why build wealth? So you can help your children. That's one of the main lessons that's in there is when my, when my son was born 20 years ago, I made sure I bought a property in trust for him. When my daughter was born 16 years ago, I made sure I bought a property. And I'm not saying it's only residential real estate that you should be buying. Uh, there's RESPs, there's other investment vehicles that are available. Speak to your financial planner and see what else is out there. But in addition to that, your portfolio should include real estate because that's how you hedge what's happening in the marketplace right now. And that's how you participate in what's happening in the market and be able to extract some equity to help your loved ones. And that way, those young people are not felt deflated and on their own and looking at mom and dad and saying, well, I wish you would have told me or I wish you would have helped me or wish you would have done this years ago so that I could have something to have a start as well. And uh, one other thing before we finish, the other thing about the book that really impressed me is you had some major obstacles early in your career, but you did not let those stop you. You just kept going. As a 19-year-old, um, it was 1989, and the market started declining. I had just purchased a property, and the property values went down 30%. So for all those people in 2016 that said the market's going to crash, I didn't think the market was going to crash, and I bought uh, a property. It went down significantly where my mortgage was higher my mortgage owing was higher than the value. I couldn't get a renter. I couldn't make the mortgage payments. And as a 19-year-old, I filed bankruptcy. So, you know, a lesson learned on hedging your bets and making sure that you're making thoughtful decisions, not overextending, not leveraging so much that, you know, you get into a position where there's a little hiccup and all of a sudden you can't make your payments. So, you know, it was a great lesson for me to learn as a 19-year-old which I've carried on throughout my life. And luckily that hasn't happened again. Well, good. We, we hope it never will again. The book is The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker by Faisal Susie Walla. You can pick it up at Amazon as book or audiobook. Faisal, thanks once again for being on the show. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you again. 
If you'd like to get in touch with Faisal Suziwala of REMAX Twin City Realty, give him a call at 519-624-5555 or go online to homeshack.com.